0: SHUT sure.
1: Jen, today's conversation, we sit down and chat with the amazing Adam Hannett, master distiller for Brook Laddie, and James Donaldson, the master botanist, the master forager, and one of the brilliant minds that helps craft botanist. Jen, they were recently in Austin. We had a chance to sit down and chat. Thanks to Miss Amy Flores. Great chat, great guys. Sipping Octomore 9.2, I think. But either way, lovely gentlemen. And so without further ado... I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Adam and James from Brookladdy.
2: We all do work together really, really well. Um, and there isn't that kind of hierarchical kind of thing. You know, the company's grown a lot. yeah. And I mean, for me, like 10 years ago, I was just rolling barrels in the warehouse. And now I'm head distiller. You know Alan, the same thing, you know, like he, a few years ago um you know alan and i were on shift together he was on the stills i was mashing yeah. and you know that's it's not like a long time ago that's that's like, what, like 12 years ago we would yeah. do that um but the progression the speed of growth of the company and the success we've had and you know the people we've taken on board and you've got to remember isla is a small community so we'd know 3200 people or so you yeah said, right? absolutely yeah. well um before we came away we did uh, we were working on some graphics to kind of give people a sense of like how small isla is so yeah. Uh, we had a, some cool slides in the presentation where we've got a picture of Isla and like 3,228 people, but actually, that's 3,226 because James and I are <laughs> here. So, we, we, you know, it's a small community. <laughs> the tax rate changes when you it leave. It does, exactly. It does. <laughs> no, um, it's a small community. We know each other. You know, you leave work and it's not as if you never see these people ever again. You know, right. you, you bump into them, you live next door to them, you're in the co op uh, doing the shopping with these guys. So, you know, it's a, uh, you, you can't treat it the same way as you would had you worked in glasgow or edinburgh or any other city in the world where yeah. you see people you work with you have a relationship with them based on work you know half the day is kind of talking about what you did at the weekend on monday morning so sure. um, did, but that's you a good thing because like, you've got a closeness you've got a
1: relationship with people it's a good thing you know you know sometimes uh, japanese culture is kind of like this too uh, but american culture we sometimes we're pretty separated right so we do what we do at work and then we get mm. home and it's a different group of mates that we go and have a sip with or whatever but do you ever feel like you can escape work that you have time to yourself i know you have a daughter oh God, yeah yeah yeah, yeah so absolutely could. absolutely yeah well i
2: mean I think you you have to with, with like no matter where you're in the world you've got to be able to get away from work right and, and and the great thing about isla and like the pace of life and it's so slow and isla is such a beautiful place that like if i even if i, I live like a 10 minute walk from the distillery oh wow so that 10 minutes in the morning is lovely you know it's a walk towards the distillery You've got time just to think about what it is you want to do, you know, you've had, you know, the family get the kids up for for nursery and all that kind of stuff, and you walk down, um, and you get your head into what's going on today, Um, but, you know, come a Friday when we're finished, and we're lucky that, you know, our production level isn't, like, 24-7, we would refer to it 24-7, five days a week, (laughs) so... um, So we, we're lucky we get the weekends to ourselves. You know, we can, we can go off, you know, we, you walk on the beach. Yeah. You've just got peace, you've got quiet all around you. And it's a, it's a really grounding thing. It's a really good thing because you need that. Stable. Uh, you know? What's the word? B- balance.
1: Yeah, it's ba- exactly. It's balance. Yeah. It's balance. Yeah.
2: Um, but yeah, for me, I've got, I've got two young daughters. So as soon as I walk in the door, I can't. I don't have the time to sit there and talk about or think about all the things that went on the day. I've got. Yeah. I've got like, toys to play with. I've got uh, things to find out about what they had for lunch that day. You know, you're it's in
1: a total other moment. Altogether. Oh, for sure,
2: and that's a great thing. And you just embrace these moments as they come. You know, yeah. whether it's work, whether it's at home, whatever it is, you embrace it all.
1: One of the big. I was talking about this the other day. Bur- taking the the world of bourbon, right? The master distillers, for bourbon distilleries, they are rock stars here. They are put on a pedestal in a lot of ways. Jimmy Russell, now given he's in his nineties, he should absolutely fucking be on a pedestal, right? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. But but there there's so many people in this world, and we in the states were like these are our new rock stars. Mm-hmm. So you kind of just stepping away from Isla to come talk to Austin and other parts of Texas about the botanist and talk about Brooklady and stuff. That part of the job, which puts you in the main hall, people paying attention how you talk. How do you like that part of it? The talking, the connecting with the audiences, center of attention
2: um if you ask any of my family Mm -hmm. uh, any of my friends then center of attention is not where i'd not (laughs) be found okay (laughs) um and that's i don't know that's that's um that's me that's why i'm i'm a relatively quiet guy but i'm a really lucky guy as well you know the position i have you know like you say i'm a head distiller for cloudy distillery and it's an amazing distillery we have amazing philosophies and we we care and we do so many things that, that mean so much to us. The way we do things means so much to us. Yeah, and I've got I've got a really privileged position, really privileged position. I make, we make amazing whiskey, and it's a privilege to me to go and talk about the efforts of the hundred people mm. at that distillery and what we do because it's not really about me. Um, at the end of the day, okay, I'm the guy whose name goes on the ten. I I come up sure. with the blends, these things, but. You know i'm dealing with whiskey that people who've retired from the distillery made i'm uh you know working with other people who are doing you know i'm not there at three o'clock in the morning running spirit you know apparently I'm, not you miss james on the exactly. <laughs> i will never <laughs> let the story down never um, is, we won't even talk about it but no, there's, no, no, a, there's no, a story yeah. right there's then? a story doing the rounds as i am doing this tour that at some point in the presentation i'll talk about the dedication of the the people who get up at three o'clock in the morning to make spirit and James will go, <coughs> because I <laughs> slept in the first time he came to uh, to watch the distillation with us. Anyway, as I say, it's not really about me, right. uh, it's about the team, um, but yeah, I'm in the position where I get to come and, and it's an amazing position to come and, and talk to people about what we do and, uh, you know, it's not maybe where I'm most comfortable, Sure. Um, but as soon as you do that first presentation and you start talking about where you're from, mm. you start talking about the people who work there and how we do things and you know, the fun we have and the whole the whole thing. Everything right. mixed in, the good times, the bad times, the whole thing. I mean I wouldn't change it for the world. And I think there's I say that, that that position, that privilege is is something I don't take lightly and I think it's it's great to tell the story. Sure. And to see the reaction people have to what it is we do. Yeah. That kind of fuels us, keeps us going, you know, and I think that's uh, it's a good thing to do because you go back re energized. Jet lagged but sure. re-energized with, uh, <laughs> yeah. with this kind of passion. <laughs> On both that, ends. Yeah, and no, I think yeah. it's like anything. If you, you know, as a company, we produce something. You know, at the end of the day's work, we've got something to show for it physically in our hand. You know, there's, yeah. there's cases of the bottles of whiskey there. And to then see what people do with that, how they drink that, how they appreciate that, that they spend their hard-earned money, you know, paying for something that we make. Like, that's, that's an amazing compliment. That's an amazing thing that people do for us. So um, I might, may not be the most comfortable uh, standing up and speaking in front of lots of people, but... Yeah. I know that it's a privilege to do it and I know that telling the story of who we are and what we do, um,
1: people appreciate that. You know, I think that's really important. Do you think, you know, connecting with people globally, because I've, you know, you're, again, because we romanticize the head distiller, the master distiller, whatever you want to call it, right? Do you think that being out there, connecting with the people that enjoy what you've done all the way across the pond, that that actually makes you a better distiller?
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, it's a good way of thinking about it, but, Again, I I always, um, with these trips, there's so much to think about, but it's always the same um, when I speak to people who are drinking whiskey or bartenders who are, um, you know, mixing with a botanist or, you know, whatever the interaction with the spirits we produce yeah. is, you you feed off that enthusiasm because, the, again, there's choice sure. out there. It's not as if we're the only whiskey brand. It's not as if we're the only gin brand. There's choice, but they choose to to, to use our spirits. And that does re energize you and it makes you keeps you honest. Yeah. There's many things in the whiskey industry, you know, that, that keep you honest and trying to make the very best spirit that you can. I mean, there's professional pride. There's the fact that the whiskey we we use, um, like a lot of the whiskey that I'm kinda of blending with just now was made under the, the stewardship of Ian Allen or mm. Jim McEwen, you know, Duncan McGilbury. So you you know these guys, you want to do the very best you can to honour the spirit that they were in charge of making. Yeah. Or the guys, you know, the Budgie or Neil McTaggart, or these guys who were on the stills or, you know, whoever it was who was involved in that process. You know, we know them and we want to do the very best for their, you know, kind of effort that they put into it. Absolutely. And I think um, there's many things that keep us honest, but um, I think the big thing, the fact that people have got a choice in what it is they drink. Mm-hmm. And they choose to drink and they, they follow us and whether it be they you know, they follow us on, on social media or whether they visit the distillery. I mean, Isle is not an easy place to get to, right. but people come year upon year to come back and, and say hello and, and, you know, feel part of what it is we do. And that's an amazing compliment. That's a really, really good compliment to us.
1: You know, I've been, uh, some of the interviews I've read about you is that obviously there were big shoes to fill and I want to talk about that piece, but something that I think was a great sentiment from you as press are asking, well... Are you gonna stand in gym shoes or whatever? But you always said, "Be your own man." Mm. So mm. in your passion with these, I mean, the, uh, there's so many great marks, right? Port Charlotte, the Octomore, the the beer barley, which I fucking love. I want to talk about that for you. Yeah, sure. Thank you. But you can't look back, can you? You have to just be passionate and move forward. Well, it's an interesting thing
2: because, I mean, I think as a distiller, you you spend very little time in the present. You're either looking forward or you're looking back. Interesting. One of yeah. the two, you know, you're either planning. For the future, yeah. or you're looking at spirit that was made a different time ago. So um, you don't always know. You, like the, the the present is is not all of your day. You know, it's a, it's a, a funny point, funny yeah. way of looking at it. You know, um, but if we're releasing spirit that's maybe from the '80s, you know, you've got to think about when that cask was filled. You've got to think about, you know, how the distillery was operating then. You've got to think about how that's received now. What's happened in its yeah. lifetime? Because you know, Jim. Jim always used to talk about um, like a cask and the spirit, you know, spirit is the child. The The cask is the mother and that, mm. that relationship as things grow, and mat- you know, it's called maturing for a reason, you sure. know, we mature. Oh. And it's easy to get sentimental about these kind of things. It's easy to romanticize it all, but at the end of the day, that's really what's happening. The spirit is developing and maturing and you've got to consider the whole lifetime of that cask and not just be in one moment when it goes into the bottle. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, what you've got to pay the respect to the spirit you know you've got to, you've got to think about all these things.
1: no, I love that because how many seasons went by, yeah, how many droughts, how much political turmoil, and you may <laughs> say that political turmoil is not a tangible element that can influence, mm-hmm. but it influences us absolutely when we make these things absolutely and I think that's a I like to romanticize it a bit because we have the privilege i mean the, the Marx and even the botanists this afternoon. Mm we have the privilege of sipping these things that have been around a long time, longer than a few of my marriages. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just saying, you know, like things that have just they're around so long and you can't take it too seriously though too, can you? Absolutely. You know, you you can't take
2: it too seriously. It's, I mean, life's short, you know. Um, And as I say, the
1: spirit that
2: um, I'm working with is made by other people. The spirit that, you know, I'm in charge of making will be handed on to other generations and that's something that, because we take that long-term view of what it is we're doing, yeah. um, and you know, I'm, I've been like head distiller at Broglie for three years. You know, um, but something that the way I've been taught to make whiskey, and I, I know Alan and I, we, we often talk about this, that um, we are not in charge of the distillery, and it's ours now. You know, okay, we're in charge of the distillery, and we, our job is to pass it on in the best health that we can for the yeah. next generation, because we were lucky growing up that we got the opportunity to to make the most of, of the opportunity we had, you know, to, to make whiskey, you right. know, it's a, it's a privilege, you know, um, it represents our Island, you know, who, where we are, the people that it represents everything that we really do. So we have to make sure that we don't fuck that up. <laughs> we have to make sure that, 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 yeah, uh, what we do is, is going to be better for the next generation. And we've got an amazing opportunity from, you know, from Jim, from Duncan, from Mark, from yeah. Simon, these guys who, you know, put their you know, Moving up from London to, to you know, settle a families in Isla, Moving, um, you know, companies when they've got everything to come for nothing because yeah. they believe in something. You know, they, these are things we can't forget. These are things that are still inspirational 20 years down the line, you know. And, and that's what keeps us honest and keeps us working for
1: the future. Yeah. You know, one of the things, so we go back to the story. And your, f- your parents had a nice vacay in Isla apparently in the 70s. And thus said, we're going to move from Manchester and we're going to go mm-hmm, do mm-hmm. this thing. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so here's a here's a, it's not a mathematical question. It's almost a grammatical question. So your folks are living in Manchester for some time. Yeah. But you don't bring over that particular accent. How does that work when your folks do they still have that same kind of accent? they do you just do, kinda yeah, they, they they do. Um, It's a funny thing. Like my, yeah, so my
2: my my uh my dad was uh they're both nurses, my parents both yeah, right. now actually. Oh they're yeah. T- so, right. yeah um and uh thoroughly enjoying that but my parents nhs folks uh, yes, yes both nhs yeah, amazing, yeah yeah, absolutely um so they moved up from manchester you know my dad used to come up on holidays and new folk from isla uh when he was training some nurse and they came up for holidays and yeah like you say they basically just decided you know let's just stay here it's amazing <laughs> you know and and it is yeah uh, so i got this amazing opportunity to grow up on isla and and I think where we lived, we lived quite far away. We weren't in a village. We were up at a place called Ardnave which is the kind of very top north end of the island. Mm-hmm. So um, we didn't hear a lot of other voices, a lot of other accents, you know, always. <laughs> so, But my mum and dad, they're quite funny. They used to call us like, as kids like chameleons because when we would go to school, like we would have a relatively English accent sure. because, you know, in the morning, uh, that's what we had. And we'd go to school and we'd be with all the other kids and we'd come home and we'd have the <laughs> Scottish accent that would gradually fade back into that's, that's what we were funny. listening from, from them. So. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a funny thing Like again People You know Will come to Ireland They'll, they'll You know Looking around the story They'll um, Be chatting away to me And they'll be like So you're not from here You know Because I don't have A strong Scottish accent <laughs> That's, Yeah um, But equally There'll be people Who will come and say Oh thank god I can understand you Because <laughs> they, uh, they, There's not that thick Scottish <laughs> accent So it's a blessing And a curse But um, Again There's still that Chameleon aspect A few weeks ago uh, I was speaking to I had a group with me In the warehouse And uh, They were They uh, were from uh, English wasn't their first language, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I was chatting away, and we were talking, and we were talking about different casks and different whiskies. And uh, one of the warehouse boys asked me something, so I turned around and I spoke to them about, you know, what it was we needed to do. And, and uh, when I turned back to the group, they had this really puzzled look on their face. They're like, <laughs> "What did you just say?" <laughs> but it was a funny thing when I was talking to to people who, uh, again, I think they were I'm trying to think where they're from. Maybe maybe French actually. Sure. Um, and then. When I was speaking to somebody with a Scottish accent, you mm. tune into who it is you're you're speaking to, I suppose. So uh, it's a blessing and a curse. I, so. I,
1: I think that's amazing. You know, I would say one of the things I think is interesting, right, is because both of your parents are in the health services mm. field. Mm-hmm. Any pressure for you to follow in those footsteps? Are there? Oh God, saying, no, no. They uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you know anything about the
2: NHS? No, God, a they, l- just a little. They bit. actively <laughs> discouraged us from joining the NHS. Don't do it to yourselves. They used to say. Um, no, no. I mean, my, my parents are great because they. Uh, I've got a, an older brother and two younger sisters, mm. and with each of us, they have given us space to do what is we want to do in life, and they've yeah. never put any pressure on us to do this or do that. Um, sometimes they put pressure on us not to do things, but sure. uh, like any parent would. Uh, but no, they—I th- mean, my parents are so supportive, and um, and again, they, they allow us to live our own life. And I think that's what you do as a parent, isn't it? You know, yeah. when, when you raise kids, your job is to equip them for to make their own decisions. Same for you, that's I it. imagine. With of the course, t- right. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know you want to see them de- i 've got two daughters you want to yeah. see them develop their potential and do their own thing it 's not about me it 's about them you know perfect and and that 's yeah for my parents that 's one of the great things that you know the perspectives they 've given me is that you you 've got to make your own way in life, and as a parent, your job is to prepare your kids the best right. way you can for how they how they grow up
1: and so you know talked to david black Blackmore some time ago, and he also went into the field of marine biology mm-hmm. what exactly was it appealing about that? Because you were at Aberdeen University. Yeah. So yeah. So when I when I left school, um, that was uh, a long time ago,
2: uh, longer than <laughs> I care to. admit I'm older it, than you, so yeah. That, okay, like, it's not that long.
1: <laughs> it,
2: it feels like a long time ago, yeah. a different lifetime ago. But when I left school, there was, um, you know, a secondary education, or oh, sorry, like further education in Scotland is free, so you know, it was it was encouraged that you should go and do this. It was a great opportunity, yeah. and so I did. You know, I, when I left school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. Uh-huh. Um I really enjoyed biology. I really enjoyed that kind of thing when I was at school. So I chose marine biology, um, mainly because I had an image of sitting on a catamaran in the Great Barrier Reef having an amazing time.
1: That's exactly the same sentiment from other marine
2: well, biologists. there you <laughs> go, there you go. And then as I, as I was studying, I was in Aberdeen, and that's about as far removed from the Great Barrier Reef as you can imagine. Um, but when I was there, I, I, you know, you're growing up. You're getting more experiences. And I quickly realized, actually... This just wasn't for me. That lifestyle, that that uh, I didn't have that that willingness to pursue, you know pursue that academic career. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't for me. And I think when I was when I came back to Ireland, you know, I didn't I spent about time where I tried to kind of take stock and figure out what to do, and I I didn't know. But in the meantime, um, and it was my father actually who said to me that you can't just like kick about and you know do odd jobs and this kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, you have gotta pick something. Exactly, maybe. do yeah. something. You know, you'll feel better for it. And he said, you know, if nothing else, you know, try and get a job at a distillery, you get a free bottle of whiskey every month. So <laughs> if that was enough to convince me to uh, to give it a try. And um like anything, it's a small community, you know people, and there was uh, an amazing woman uh, called Ella Edgar who worked at Brooklyn, she, she kinda of ran the offices there in the early days and um unfortunately her, her husband, um, who had retired from a distillery on the south side of the island, he was not very well, so my parents were looking after him. And um, you know, my in conversation with with her, you know, she said to my dad, "Look, tell him to come and see me. Tell Adam to come and see me." And because you know my parents had looked after her husband so well, uh you know, she was only too happy to kind of give us the you know a, oh. a nudge or a push in the right direction. That. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, to be honest, it's probably not something I, you know I've really talked too much about because it's quite a sensitive thing, you know, with for for, course, Ella and, yeah. and for a, a late husband. But um, I suppose it's one of these things where it's a start and it's an opportunity. And she was. uh she, she knew who my parents were. You know how how good they were and the values they had, and she was willing to take a risk because on because obviously you, know, you share those same things, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You, yeah, absolutely. you of course must. You always look up to your parents. You know, of sure. course you do. Um, so yeah, I think I was I was incredibly lucky that you know that I, I had that opportunity. Yeah. And um, again, I, when you know my my career at the distillery in the early days was uh, was great fun, and I growing up on Islay. You don't always take granted what you know the distilleries and the, the um, influence isla has in the world yeah and i i actually left the distillery after about a year
1: um, what were you doing initially when you started so i was a tour guide, tour guide um, okay. i was a tour guide which was you, was so you and james sh- have that in common then apparently he yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah we love talking <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um sometimes too much you know i remember doing a tour where i was um uh, there was a, a couple on and he said how long does the tour take I said, "Oh, like 45 minutes i thought oh that's great we just got to catch the ferry that's fine. So after an hour and a half they said, Okay, look, I, we've gotta go, we've gotta leave, you know. So I, I I love talking, you know. Um when you get passionate about something, you always wanna talk of about course, it. Of course, yeah. Um but you left. So I did, yeah, I left. I left. Um and it was again, I was like twenty, you know, I was yeah. I was I was uh, and there's whole reasons for that kind of thing. But um Was it a girl? Of course it was, yeah. <laughs> of course it was. So so I left. Um and I very quickly realized I'd made a big mistake because there was something about, and th- and there still is something about Brocaldi, but particularly at that time when it was just a few years off the ground, and there was this great feeling around the place, and this kind of team effort, and this family, and you know things were really good and positive. We were growing, we were doing amazing things, yeah. and we could do what we want. You know, you can take on the world. And I really, I loved that. And as soon as I'd kind of left, I realized that that's a mistake. You know, and was it hard
1: getting back? It
2: was, yeah. Well, actually, I um I was working for another company, and I um there was a job came up at another distillery. Um, I was I was kind of landscape gardening, which was great fun. You know, I had a, a really good bunch of guys I was working with, and had loads of fun out in the outdoors all day. And yeah. you know, good in the summer, good in the winter, it was just good fun. And there was an opportunity to work for another distillery, and I applied for the job. And uh, luckily enough, after the interview, I was I was off with of the job. And no disrespect whatsoever to this other story, uh, which I've got huge admiration for, and it's still around. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Um, I was offered this opportunity, and I I turned it down because it didn't feel the same as Brocladi, and maybe that was young and idealistic and stupid, yeah. but I just didn't get the same feeling I'd had when I worked at Brocladi before, and so I turned it down. But I knew, well, I've given up a really good opportunity, so because I want to be at Brocladi, so I went back and I spoke to Jim and. Uh, he offered me three months' work. He says, That's all? Yeah. He says, Look, you know what? We know you from before. You, you know, okay, you, you packed us in, you know, and that kind of thing. But, you know, you did. You, you were good. You worked well for us. You, you were dedicated. So coming up for Whiskey Festival, we could do with an extra pair of hands. Yeah, would you help? And that three months has turned into like 12, 13, 14 years, whatever we're up to now. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm lucky. You know, and, and things like that, that story you know, where I, I, I gave up, basically. I, I packed yeah. it in. I worked hard to get back, and when I was back, I worked as hard as I could. And I think that was um, something that is never too far away from me. You know, it's always at the forefront of your thoughts that I've got an opportunity. Yeah. I've got something. I've got something very, very good,
1: and I'm not going to give it up again. Keep working hard, or else. Oh, way, oh, for right? sure. Yeah. for sure, absolutely. Because no one's job's guaranteed. No, no. But I love. There's so few jobs as well, right, in the distillery arena. It's well, yeah, I mean,
2: but it's funny you should say that because, interestingly enough, now with the you know with the Hole uh, with um, the new distillery that um, uh, Speciality Drinks uh, are planning, um, there is a lot more opportunities. And, and the, the kind of renaissance and uh, interest in single malt, you know, Isla is like the center of the universe. People are, are you know, flocking to come and see what it is we do. And, you know, the island of 20, 25 years
1: ago was a very different place uh, uh,
2: to what it is now. So, actually, you know, unemployment is very low.
1: Do you um, like the changes? Given that it's had this economic, I do. I, do, I mean,
2: look, it's, it's like anything, you know. You see, twenty years ago, and the place is very different. Um, we've we've got to be, you know, we've got to remember who we are and what we're doing. We don't want this to become like a whiskey theme park. Mm-hmm. Um, but equally, we've got to, you know, take for granted the fact that people take an interest in what it is we do and they spend their hard-earned money to travel and see and all around the world and they spend time with us. And and I think you know, Isle always been a really welcoming place. Uh, it's a, um, a very friendly place and. You know, long may that continue. I think it, I, I don't see any reason why I wouldn't, but yeah. um, it is fascinating to see the change. Absolutely fascinating to see the interest in Isla and, and the people who want to, to live there, people who want to work there, be part of what it is we do. Um, I mean, I talk about this a lot, but it's, it's a compliment. You know, it's an amazing thing that people have the interest sure. and want to be part of it.
1: Flattering in some sense. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Did you have any kind of early on experiences with Scotch? You know, what, so for instance, Mezcal right? Oaxaca is the center of mezcal for the world. But all the way up until just a few years ago, people in Oaxaca didn't drink mezcal. Yeah. It was still the poor man's juice, right? But, if I were to interpret it as a someone from across the pond, everybody was drinking scotch all the time. Is that really... That's probably not the case, right, Isla? Or is it the case? I mean, it's a, a different
2: way of drinking it. I think, you know, culturally uh, whiskey's kind of in the blood you know, with people from Isla. There's, I mean, up until... Forty, fifty years ago, people would be given like dram daily drams. Yeah. Um, you know, guys would be getting like guys would be pissed the whole time, basically. <laughs> um and they would they would be you know, there'd be jobs that distill you if you had to go and clean out the kiln or you had to go and muck out the mash done, you get a dirty dram for that. You know, the the dirty ah, jobs okay. you get an extra dram. So, you know, like alcohol, um, rightly or wrongly was, was kind of waved through the lives of people. Currency. Um you know, ex- exactly, yeah. a currency. Um, and uh, it was what people kind of out of bed for if you like in some ways which is not a good thing um i think when you know when i was growing up um whiskey was or single malt whiskey was something that people didn't really drink too much round about it was uh maybe a special occasion or you know certainly in our house it was um you know when those visitors you would you would have you know something you know a good bottle but if it was like most of the time people would be drinking whatever was cheapest you know and Uh, and and i think that's probably just you know economically you know what, what the reasons why but yeah. um change days now i think there's uh, there's a huge i mean whole has been a pride but now again the visitors the tourism is so much i think now there's um you know people are much happier to you know sit there and enjoy the or yeah. a, a Lagavulin or whatever it may be because they maybe understand appreciate the fact that you know the island is so busy people are taking interest in what it is we do so let's get on board and appreciate it too so
1: they're open to pete in ways they've never been before yeah, you I know. think so, yeah Well, I mean,
2: interestingly enough right, I mean, a lot of people from Ireland Don't really like peated whiskey They, they don't like yeah. it either. It's like, well, it's not just people from Islay It's people across, you know um, There's not, a, in terms of global populations You know, there's not a lot of peated whiskey to go around yeah. So, um, you know, the people who like peat You know, they're going to come to Ireland to find it So, but doesn't mean everyone in Islay likes peated whiskey, you know um, Brooklady has always been the kind of the, And and Bonavent, the kind of preferred single bottle of choice It's cause super it's light Yeah, absolutely, right. yeah
1: yeah. Coastal elements, some salinity too, which mm-hmm. is really good. That just easy to right.
2: drink,
0: yeah. Oh
1: man, yeah. good values on both. Man. Yeah, I, you know, I get a, Always looking for a good bottle of scotch at a reasonable price, and I found a ten-year-old proper Laddie mm-hmm. for what forty-five dollars. Right. Where did you really find really that? Pers- Can I have got time to go and get one? I actually grabbed the last one, okay. but brilliant—you know, brilliant yeah. juice that's really, really reasonable. It's one of the things I quite appreciate about Brook Laddie. But I want to talk about two of the products. You know, normally. Mm-hmm. Talking about life and stuff. So, but just last night, I was drinking the beer barley, 2008 or 2009. I can't exactly recall mm-hmm. which. Yep. And, you know, got a bit of scotch, got a bit of spirits at the house. And I seldom am taken to an Earl Grey, Jasmine, orange-infused, rose water kind of spirit. And for some reason, this beer barley mm-hmm. took things to a honeycomb. Yep. It took it to rose water. It took it to jasmine tea. This is the one of the most elegant and enriching flavor experiences I have ever had, yeah so because I'm gonna review it here coming up soon, and this, this whole another concept I'm working on but this was a good project, this was interesting Tell it, me is, how it, it is came so
2: about. so the f- the bear Barley project or, or essentially the brockladi project you know it's the bear is an aspect of it, but
1: it's bear beer bear. bear? Beer,
2: okay. beer, okay. yeah. Um be a you know, it's it's okay, either or. Um but the project, you know, where we're focusing on Tewa, the project where we're focusing on the varieties of barley, where it's grown, um, you know, who grew it, how we distill it. Yeah. It's fascinating and it's it's a fundamental and, and that really we should every every distillery should be considering and I'm sure they do to a point, considering the um variety of barley they use. But for us, The guys who were involved in Brookline, like, getting the distillery back up and running, the the kind of visionary guys, you know, the Jim McEwan's, Mark Rainier, Simon Coughlin, these Mm -hmm. guys, it was fascinating to them, particularly Mark and Simon from a wine background, that nobody focused on the variety of barley, nobody focused on anything other than yield. Nobody really gave a fuck about where the barley came from, Mm -hmm. it could come from anywhere. So, uh, excuse my French, of course. (laughs) Um, So... uh, they didn't care about any of that kind of stuff. Um, Mark and these guys, Jim, were, Jim in particular was really keen to do, to have Isla at the center of things. You know, can we grow barley in Isla? And these projects took a lot of persuasion and a lot of um, a lot of work to get off the ground. But when we start distilling spirit with flavors uh, or with barleys that give us different flavors because of where they're grown or the variety, yeah, that's just common sense. Of course it makes sense yeah. that a different spirit, a different barley, will give you a different spirit. So... The bear barley is a great example. And if I could pick any of the different varieties and things we use, then bear barley is probably the best example to talk about um, how a, a variety of barley that, that isn't on a recommended growing list for brewing and distilling, but makes an amazing whiskey, uh, is very difficult to work with in many ways. We we had some of the barley growers from Orkney, mm. uh, where this this is a native kind of uh, orc- species. Orkney, Orkney yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, so this barley has been grown there for, I mean, we know certainly hundreds of years, six, seven hundred years, but you know, assume and rightly so that it could be thousands of years has been grown there.
1: Mm.
2: This barley is suited the conditions, so it's early ripening. It's um, it's a six-row head rather than two-row head, so oh, really? it's it's a really different proposition because it hasn't had the modern breeding and you know, in the quest for yield, it's been grown because it suits the conditions of Orkney. So, in poor soil, it grows well. Yeah. It ripens well because that's the conditions, you know. So. It's a fascinating thing because it's not really like barley that we would know now, and yeah. so as it's a, a way, it's it's incredible, incredible spirit, and you know, for the a very different proposition for the the farmers to grow and to harvest, for the maltsters to uh, to turn to malt, and for us to distill. But after all these different processes and the hard work and the sweat and the swearing that you know, you finally get to that spirit running through the still. Yeah, that experience and tasting that spirit—it's amazing. Dude, the, ha- y- the yield is terrible. Sure, you know it's incredibly expensive. Everything that difficult. tastes good, right? <laughs> yeah, but this this is the whole thing. We're we're distilling for flavor, not for yield. We yeah. don't, that's not at the forefront of our mind. And you create a spirit like that that has this concentrated flavor that has this essence of where it's come from, and it. Like you say the flavors are like things you've never it's tasted intense, before in yeah. whiskey. You know, and for us as distillers, like we're not we're not doing anything new. We're just rediscovering things that have been done hundreds of years ago. Yeah, but doing it in a way that just makes sense to to what we want to achieve so bear barley is a great example it's a great whiskey and i mean some of the vintages we have and we're just preparing the 2010 vintage mm. and honestly it is it's one of the best whiskies i've ever tasted that we've produced the 2010 bear barley is is going to be something that we for whatever reason whether it's the conditions or yeah. the harvest or whatever it was that year or the distillation or, or the way something happened it's created an amazing spirit but releasing a whiskey in a vintage like that, so that same variety of barley in yeah. the same place, different vintages, it's a fascin- it's learning experience. It's fascinating. It's educational. And we're not trying to say it's the best whiskey. You know, year upon year, it will vary. But that in itself is a very interesting uh, way of looking at whiskey.
1: You know, when I think about distillates, whiskey is somehow removed from the raw. Not mm, necessarily mm, scotch, but in bourbon, absolutely mm. remove, removed from the raw product. People don't think about corn typically because we eat it all the, wi- all the time in different kinds of ways. This tastes like a barley eau de vie. Yeah. Right? Which is yeah, yeah. slight oak imp- mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. influence. Like, I dude, I can't... T- cherry brandy, there's this note of, again, orange and honeycomb. Mm. And stuff. Dude, it's really remarkable, and I've never had a scotch that quite tastes like it. The It's interesting when you talk about that, you know, the the, the spirit is forward. It's not about the cask. Yeah.
2: And, and for, for a lot of whiskey, um, you know, it's about... A, a variety of barley that will give you, give the farmer a good yield. Easy for the maltster that will give the distiller a good yield. You make a lot of alcohol. Yeah. You put it in cask, and the cask does. You know, you distill it as fast as you can. You make a pretty average spirit, and the sure. cask does the work. So, you know, to generalise and you know, all that stuff, and and, uh, and that's not all whiskey at all. But uh, you know, in the in the bulk and the volume kind of game, that's that's kind of where it is. Yeah. When you think of bare barley and you think of that spirit and and distilling slowly and the way we do things, it's not about volume, it's about quality. So Mm. everything's done slowly, everything's done right for the right reasons to make a good spirit before we put it in the cask. If we put it in a really good cask and leave it too long, then all that influence of the barley is gone. So we, you know, we stick our neck on the line and we say, do you know what, we're going to release this at at five or six or seven years old. So that actually, and, and not state the age really, it's about the vintage, it's about that product. So if we leave it in the cask
1: too long, then you don't get the, the essence of the barley. You meet that's the ingredient we make whiskey exa- You meet the, the whole purpose of the project is connecting to this grain, which is mm. not commonly used, despite how, again, to your point, the economics of it aren't so yeah. great. But yeah. it is so enriching, and yeah. it is such an involved in experience. You cannot passively sip this. No, You no have no. to be engaged like, and think about it, because it's so interesting.
2: Yeah, and this isn't a whiskey that you're going to drink every day. You know, well, there know, isn't a, there isn't enough pretty, pretty of it. Pretty <laughs> delicious, <am> I think. <laughs> yeah, th- there isn't enough produced, you know. Yeah. Um, and you know, economically, it's a more expensive whiskey for a younger whiskey. But if we think about things in terms of economics and trying to compete on that, um, Matt Hoffman at Westman, you know, to coin, oh, yeah. to coin his phrase, um, you know, if you're trying to compete on price and on these things, it's a race to the bottom. Yeah. And that's where that's where we find ourselves, you know, in the distilling industry for a, a lot of the time. Well, we're in the race to the top. You know, we want to make the best spirit. Yeah. We want to do things differently. So you're going to pay more for a younger whiskey. But if you want to do that and take the risk and, and jump on board and find out what it is we do, then do you know what? You're going to get amazing whiskey. It, the whole category is
1: amazing, man. Um, mm-hmm. Been a huge fan for a long time. Thank you. But you know, one of the things too this this pillar, this tenet of the values at Mm. Mm. Brookletty slow. Oh, yeah. Persistent. Insistent. This is another value and pillar of botanist gin. You were talking about this earlier. It's like we could run it faster. Yeah. Because you can. I've I've been a gin distiller for years. You can run that stuff fast. Yeah. But do you break the finer chains, those oils, those flavors? You truly do. Yeah. And you guys do many different bits of reflux, many different bits of extra copper in the still to make sure that it's intensely flavorful. So, but the question really is you come from a place of a little more brooding, dark flavor whiskey to me is is more yeah. in that mm-hmm. kind of element, but then gin is a little bit lighter, maybe even happier, although it's got some complexity with talking about Hawthorne yeah. earlier but yeah. I mean. Did you have to step outside of yourself to be able to do both of these it's a duality there no, i think I think there's um there's a lot of common themes
2: and and um what I've been talking about botanist distillation you know we're not gin distillers mm. there's no like skills of gin distilling on Isla that we've been able to tap into the same mm-hmm. way we have with whiskey where things are handed down generation to generation but Guys like Jim and Duncan, and you know, the, the, you know, the guys I learned to make whiskey from, um, you know, Budgie and um, you know Neil. These guys Neil McTaggart. It's about doing the right thing, you know, doing it slowly, and, and like th- we take those same principles that we do with making whiskey and apply them to how we make our gin. We're not trying to make gin the same. We're not trying to copy anyone else's thing. Yeah, we're not interested in that at all. We make the botanist because it's another way of expressing our island. Mm. The botanicals that we pick, um, or that James picks, you know, that give that fingerprint that give that dna to the to the botanist yeah no one else can do that you know we we do that and we make it the way we do it and if somebody else makes gin and isla they'll do it their way and etc but the fundamentals are we know that a slow distillation in in whiskey will be good so we're going to do a slow distillation for making the botanist Um, we know we get that contact with copper we're going to get you know clean pure
0: spirit it's going to be good <laughs>
2: yeah. and and when we you know when, when i look at the spirit when we get that botanist and we uh, you know you evaluate it you do it in exactly the same way we would with whiskey yeah now, i don't know how the gin guys do it maybe they do it the same i don't know but i know that that spirit tastes good to me and it's, it's such a fundamental basic thing but if it, you look at it in the glass and it, it you can see the way it coats the glass and the legs are good you know that that texture is good you know yeah. You knows it and it's not aggressive you get the balance of flavor you get this this floral thing kind of absolutely just leaping out the glass and you taste it and that experience is not aggressive it's soft it's sweet it just mm. coats the, your palate and it's a really it's a lovely experience you know just just to focus Soki. on that yeah absolutely almost sexy. absolutely you could say that right. you could say that i'm saying that you, you say that <laughs> <laughs> um but then the finish, you know, it doesn't just disappear off your palate. It's there yeah. for a long time. It evolves, it opens. Like That's what you want in a whiskey. That's what we want in gin. That's what we want in a spirit and an experience where you're drinking a whiskey. That's, that's what you look for. So whether it's right or wrong, whether that's what people do with gin or not, I don't know. But I know when I get those, that profile, I get that experience with drinking the botanist. Feels I know right. it's good. If yeah. It feels right. If it tastes good, it's good. It's that simple.
1: I so think that's a great that's a good framework to make any spirit. Mm-hmm. Feels good. It's honest. Yeah, tastes good. Then these are the things that kind of ensure that it's going to translate that way too. Yeah, absolutely. across the globe, absolutely. So being here in Austin, how do you like? Because you, j- when did you guys arrive? You said you're jet lagged, so maybe you just arrived this morning or last. Yeah. Friday? So or we
2: we um. I left. I left. What day we on Thursday? Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. Um. So I left uh, Scotland on Monday morning. Oh. Flew from Edinburgh to uh, New York, and oh, we've had a couple geez. of days in New York, and then we flew in from New York to Austin today, and then tomorrow no morning way. we fly to San Francisco. And um, but you know it's a great thing, and uh, my my job and James's job is at the distillery, so like it's a privilege to travel. But you know we've got to get the balance right. So yeah. um, it's a good song too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't listen to music, but that is one that we gotta agree. I do, I do, I don't listen to as much music good as I music. did, but I do, I do. So that's cool. Um, but uh, you know we 've got to get the balance right we 've got to get out there and you know and, and meet people because like we talked about before it, it kind of reenergizes you you know when yeah. you it, particularly for the botanist which this this tour is about it 's um like when the, when that bottle leaves us that isn 't the job finished you know it's right. um what we 're producing is amazing Jenny you may drink it neat you may drink it botanist the martini currently you know, the the bnt um it might the yeah it might be yeah, the martini, makes a, just a lovely martini oh, it does. as i'm it sipping now. Really really actually really i'm
1: sorry does. that i didn't offer any would you like some oh no. i've had two it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: but uh, no it, it's a it, it's an amazing thing you know the botanist it's a great thing and to get out there and talk about it and complete that circle and see what other people do because we talk mm. about you know what we do in the foraging and what we do in the creation of that is quite experimental quite different and we would encourage people to to take it to the next step to you know there's a like I I have no in not interest but I have I I have no profile on social media or any of this kind of stuff but I noticed that exactly <laughs> yeah I've had to find um but it's a be the botanist you know yeah. um it's, it's it's this kind of campaign it's this kind of idea that we would get people to go out there and do what we've done on yeah. on as, as as extreme or not scale as you want you could go out spend three weeks you know in the in the hills you know picking things that coming to flower once every 10 years yeah. or you can you can go to the farmer's market you can get some fresh ingredients you can whip up a little something but you're getting out you're just you know you're, you're being creative and doing something that, yeah. that you made you know and i think that's that's the great thing about the botanist is that it's um it's inclusive it's about you know we're not going to tell you exactly what we should do um you know we <laughs> as james has said and i've i completely agree we wouldn't tell you how to drink the botanist any more than we would tell you what shoes to wear to work on a monday morning okay <laughs> so we make a great product. Yeah. We love it. Go off and do something exciting with it. Don't just, don't just you know, take it for granted. Do something with it. Take some inspiration from what we do and, and drink it that way.
1: I love it. Inspiration in a bottle in a sense, right? Absolutely. Isla in a bottle. Oh, even better. Mm-hmm. So I got two questions left for you. This one is, you know, we talked about you're busy raising the daughters and stuff. So that's yeah. a little, it's a little difficult, I'm sure. But let's say you're drinking the bear barley. Mm-hmm. 2009. Because I haven't had the ten yet, I'm going to hold you to make sure I can sip yeah, some with you. Yeah. But you're anywhere in the world, just enjoying a dram, and you could have a conversation with anybody, living or deceased, musician, artist, poet. Who might you like to just post up at the bar and have a conversation with?
2: That's a really, really good question. Um, <laughs> and and it I'm changes not, the I'm not, And you know, what, I'm not going to come up with anywhere near an interesting <laughs> enough answer for that. It's a great question, but. Um, I, I don't know, I don't know. I would think to be fair, if I if I had the, if anyone at all, sure. Um, I do quite, you know, as, as I'm getting older, I do like to kind of study a bit of history and stuff like that. And I would think that um, Winston Churchill would oh, be an amazing cool. character to have a couple of drinks with. Perfect, champagne for breakfast, oh. you know, a couple of brandies. Yeah, I think we could, I think we could have a you know, if I could pick his brain or have a chat or just hear some stories.
1: Yeah. I'd love that, and you would work your way into some botanist Martinis. I am oh, I'm sure, certain. I'm sure, I'm sure, but I'm um, not sure you'd be walking home, but oh, god, no, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly a valiant effort to try. Yeah. yeah. Well, the last question too, you know, because you've got the botanist Gin, you've got the many brilliant marks of Brooklady. I mean, you got Black Dr. Moore. I mean, these things are freaking like mm, Black Sabbath mm. records, man. Yeah. They drop heavy. They've got great style, great marketing, great flavor. But if you get in a rut, maybe creatively. Is there any place that you go to get inspiration to say this will kickstart some ideas? This will kickstart perhaps what we should do next. Yeah, absolutely.
2: There's um, there's times in the creation of whiskey where you you need a bit of help. You need a bit of inspiration. You need something, and it can come. Honestly, it comes from so many different kind of aspects of life. I mean, there's um, there's whiskies that uh, I mean, I think like the Black Art Black Art Five, which was the first one that I kind of went solo on when Jim retired.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, there was inspiration came from that, from uh, a guy that worked at the distillery uh, who had passed on, he'd passed away, um, a guy called uh, Hoppy, David Hope. And there was... Uh, <laughs> I've worked with David for a long time, and he I knew what kind of whiskey he liked, and at his funeral, you know, I'd, I'd basically... Uh, you know, of course, we drank some whiskey by the graveside, and I made sure that the whiskey we, we brought and we, we had was something that I knew he would like, and mm-hmm. it was some an amazing cask we'd found. Um, or I, I knew of that I I knew he would like, and that's what we chose, and that was the, kind of the inspiration for, for uh, uh, some whiskeys where we used that cask further on, and... and mm-hmm. um, so that's maybe quite a morose, quite a, a sad thing. But again, it's like a celebration of the guy's life, and you want that to be the best thing you can. And so I was, mean, I look it at a it celebratory, thing. for sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, some of the stories that were told and all that kind of stuff, and we still tell about uh, Hoppy, and that, it, you know, it it's always it gladdens your heart. It's a yeah. good thing. You know, he's a, an amazing man. Uh, sadly missed. And there's other times where you, you can just be looking through a warehouse and see a cask and think, oh, I'll just have a look in there, and you go, oh.
0: Ah, okay. Right, that's
2: interesting. And then <laughs> that's that's the inspiration for a lot of dramas. But yeah. sometimes, you know, you like you say you get stuck and there's lots of things, you know, you you need a bit of headspace, you take yourself outside, you know, you stand on the on the shore, you know, you take a walk, you know, get some fresh air, a bit mm. of a sea breeze, you know, watch the waves come in and you get that mesmeric kind of thing as the waves keep crashing in, they don't stop and you just start thinking about things and, and, and a little penny drops somewhere and you get that. And and as they it's just getting away, it's taking yourself away and, and just kinda of yeah. letting your mind run free and these things come. But Isla's an inspirational place. It's an amazing place. Um and it's where I get the inspiration for a lot of things or the, the
1: you know, the passion or the energy for a lot of things we do. I think it's a lovely thing, you know, and talking to Al and talking to yourself about this magical place that is mm-hmm. Isla. Mm-hmm. I have to I, I keep getting more envious every You've time. You've got to come and yeah, yeah, I have to. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you need a palate cleanser mentally sometimes yeah, you need to be absolutely. on the coast and just see the waves crash and that takes you to a different place it does like it
2: does i mean everybody needs that kind of thing i mean no matter what you do in life no matter who you are what you work uh, yeah. where you work you know what you do you can get into a rut you can get you know you just need to stop take yeah. a bit of time everyone feels better after a holiday don't they you know you take yourself away from what it is you do day in day out and i think uh, isla is a great thing because i uh, say what i walk out the distillery you know there's of course there's things going through your mind all the time you wake up in the middle of the night thinking about things but yeah. generally you know just just get outside get some fresh air take a walk you know smell the flowers it's amazing the Isle is a, an amazing place and um so much to it you know so many places to go so many things to
1: see yeah. it's, it's always inspirational can't wait to see you. yeah i can't wait to come out there you're welcome anytime <sighs> i feel that you guys got a place to crush of course, yeah. Just that you can stay with James
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: up in the attics. If yeah, I absolutely. Yeah, like Harry Potter up there. Yeah, yeah, Adam, it's so glad to have you in Austin. It's, it's been talking a about the botanist and talking about Brooklyn. A brilliant life so far, mate. And I think, you know, I'm so excited about what's next.
2: Yeah, well, me too. I mean, thank you for having us. Uh, of first course. of all, and thanks for taking the time to sit down with us. It's been uh, it's been really nice to talk about some some cool things. But I would like, just for the record, to to point out one thing that you know when we talk about raising my daughters, my (laughs) wife plays a
1: much bigger part than I do because I'm out at work a lot. I'm sure she eclipses you every day. Oh, she no problem. She's a wonderful woman.
2: A wonderful woman.
1: Women do that. My mother the same. Of course, wouldn't be the same without her. Adam, thanks so much. You know, Godspeed to the next Twin Liquors tasting. I hope you can make it.
2: I'm I'm sure sure it'll be great. I'm sure. Thank
3: you very much. Thank you. I've discovered it a lot as you kind of go out to. And meet more of the wider sort of foraging community. Yeah. Um most of them like really good plants, not good people. Um <laughs> not necessarily on a personal <laughs> level but on a recognising level. Yeah. You Yeah, I mean it's it's a massive issue on a botanical front, on a you know, kind of environmental front at the moment. Yeah. We've got this massive issue of plant blindness. Plant and blindness. Plant blindness
1: the hell does that mean
3: you don't see plants people don't see don't recognize don't appreciate oh like normal people yeah, yeah in their surroundings and if they do I mean we've just had the massive um, kind of scare story review of we're all doomed we're all doomed right. we've done the massive environmental survey and we're doomed we've yeah. got 50 we've years left really it, et cetera, etc. yeah but you get bits in that going but hey the panda's doing quite well and you're there going no, bamboo's doing quite well. <laughs> and the panda's eating the bamboo. Um, and it's a huge issue just now, because you've got all the big headline species, all the big headline problems. Right. But you show someone a picture. I mean, there's the famous one, of they use as an example for this all the time, which is, I think it's a cheetah lolling on a branch. Mm-hmm. And it's, what do you see? And everyone goes, a cheetah. No one goes, grasslands and a sausage tree, which apparently is a real thing. Yeah. I don't think it makes real sausages, but it is. <laughs> um, so you take away the grasslands, you take away the tree. The cheetah's screwed. Yeah. No one sees anything but the cheetah. So a lot of foragers run on the very opposite of, let's say, normal humans. Right. Whereby... I, and normal's a, a terrible yeah. word. <laughs> but, but, but I get it. <laughs> Not discerning. Yeah, yeah. Non-discerning. Yeah. So it tends to go the opposite way where... The foragers are wandering around, going, "Oh, there's that, and there's this, and oh it's a bit of that up there doing quite well," and then someone will appear, going, "James, hi, how are you?" And you're like, "We've met." Like, <laughs> yeah, about twenty minutes ago. We like, dated for
1: two years in the eighties, okay. James. Come on. <laughs> yeah, well,
3: aye, <laughs> but um, so yeah, it's. I mean, it's. I'm off on a tangent already, but it's a big, it's a massive issue at the moment yeah. because we everything's plants everything you eat's plants and if it's not plants it eats plants right and yet all not all but the vast majority of the the literature the concern it's like oh we're losing pandas it's right. like yeah that's because there's no bamboo because you've built a car park on it so let's <laughs> oh of well, fucking uh, car parks
1: <laughs> as someone who observes deeply the sure. terroir and the plants growing around us and knowing that they're kind of the precursors and the tellers for how the world will actually evolve and or deflate sure are you comfortable with how we are at least all research points to ruining the planet (laughs) am
3: I comfortable with it (laughs) Um, oh no not really Um, I'm really not sure what the answer is though Um, it's there's an awful lot of us. Yeah. And we all want a lot of stuff. And it's had an awful lot of focus recently, which is of course not a bad thing. Sure. Um But yeah, I've got a feeling the reality is we have to meet halfway. Mm. Um uh, population growth is another matter, but who are we to go? And you know, the UK The US, arguably particularly, you're like, Yeah, we've got areas devastating the landscape and they like building cities and expanding and supermarkets and mega markets and Mm. more roads. It's like, yeah, people want the things that we've got and how dare we grudge them wanting those things Mm. But at the same time we're sort of getting to a point of going, but you can't have all those things. The world can't support all of us having all those things Mm
0: -hmm.
3: but we we're not no but we wouldn't give up those things though someone yeah right they're, they're our things but you can't have those things so yeah how do you answer that one you i don't know you can't you can't maintain our lifestyle while complaining that it's ruining the planet yeah without giving anything else up Talking a bit heavy, very early, but I, <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> so I don't know. Well, that's the but the, that's the thing is that
1: you know, let's you can't be topical and light all the time. Yeah, you yeah. You can't just I mean, refuse it's... to acknowledge that these things are happening. And as someone who is deeply connected to again the plant life and the, mm. the botany of it, you see it in probably a different light. Again, you know, going back to the cheetah on a branch. Yeah, you see it and you paint it in a different way because of your experience. So. One of the things, you know, when you were chatting earlier about the botanist, you said, you know, I come from foragers. So your folks
3: were also involved with foraging? Well, it's just sort of what you grew up with. I mean, there was probably a greater interest or a greater knowledge that I recognized in particularly my grandmother. She was, and it was brewing, essentially. Yeah, um, She was very much into homebrew which which was a big thing um, that's great again before it was popular yeah it's something else that's coming full circle but it just was popular I mean I suppose it spun out of a god I'm sounding like I'm 110 years old now <laughs> but um <laughs> it's like a lot of these things we're beginning to look back to but they had always historically been there and then I feel they may have taken a bit of a lull mm. and then post World War two rationing hard times which i was not there for let me just point out but um (laughs) not that old yeah yeah, but i mean times were tough and people started to look back to you know you want something nice to drink you make it yourself you know it was the whole dig for victory i didn't realize thing it's fascinating because i've seen i'm not big on my social media but i lurk around on instagram Mm. and i've seen a few different accounts i follow that are if foragey, horticulture, broadly, that line are digging out and promoting a lot of recipes that were branded under potato peat. And it was all, uh, he was a essentially kind of cartoon character, you yeah. know. But you will still find old posters of like potato peat parachuting out the back of a B 52 or something. I wonder we got the and idea that. Yeah, you know, that likes <laughs> potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't have, have added otherwise. But there was the whole dig for victory thing, you know. It was the beginning of the allotment movement in the UK as well. And it was entirely born out of necessity. Mm. Um, But people are starting to look back to it, some on that focus. I mean, there are a few foragers, particularly in the US, really starting to look at urban... Some of not it's urban food shortage, but urban right, yeah, yeah. nutrition uh, food, shortage. Yeah, like Uban,
1: uh, they call them urban food deserts. Yeah, right. yeah, absolutely.
3: Um, I mean, I can't speak of it. I've had a week in New York, which is very different to Brookladdy, right sure. enough, but I wouldn't want to come across as, uh, hey, I've had a week here. I know all about the US. <laughs> but y- you Just listen th- to the podcast, yeah, obviously, y- James. Y- <laughs> <laughs> but it is a far more motorized culture i think um it's more modern cities that were cities that were built in the era of the car right and uh, yeah i won't say i'm speaking from personal experience but it seems that if you don't have a car it's not built to walk it's not built for communities it's not built that you would go to a local store and Necessarily get yourself in a lot of areas. I mean, I know farmers markets and such. No, but you're absolutely right.
1: Even Um, from here, right? We're we're downtown Austin. Where do you go to get some fresh food? And you have to walk at least uh, probably 10 blocks Mm. just to find something, which which isn't
3: so bad, but it's not really
1: necessarily convenient.
3: And that's if you're living downtown. That's exactly right. Out in the parks or out in the projects, I suppose. Then again, I can't speak from personal experience, but from I'm having an overview on some of these things and the work That some people are doing in the country Yeah, They're looking at people that might not be Short of food But you're desperately short of nutrition Yeah, um, And yet You have I'm gathering in a lot of these areas as well That's where you've got open ground That's where you've got Forageable material yeah. growing there And the nutrient density That you'll find In a lot of wild Um Wild plants, non domesticated plants, yeah. is you know, orders of magnitude greater than you'll be finding in commercial foodstuffs and white bread and white flour. Um, so you have that opportunity there. Sure. So it's interesting to see some of it going full circle on it's almost dig for victory all over again, you know? So. in a
1: very strange way. Yeah, you yeah. Would you say that you eat pretty well?
3: Naturally? Yeah. I eat pretty well. I mean, I'm not. I've not come at this from a culinary background and I've not come at it from a drinks background. Yeah. And it's been one of the massive highlights of this job. I mean, when I took the job on, I was aware of what the role would involve day to day, what my actual kind of working practice, I suppose, would be. I hadn't quite realized, (laughs) well, among other things, quite how much hand modeling I would do. (laughs) Do you we, have hairy knuckles? I'm mean actually <laughs> hairy knuckles. You, I think you're, you're much more hairless than me, yeah. even though I've got
1: Scottish descent. I
3: we certainly have... Um, <laughs> I mean, we operate a, an academy program at the distillery. We bring people over to learn about the brand yeah. rather than trying to push you know, billboard advertising. We'd rather people just came to visit, learn a little bit about us, but equally we learn a bit about them. Sure. Um, and then we thank them for coming and pack them off. It's not a hard sell with a you know sign here we expect five branded posts on instagram right, right. it's just we meet people and if they love what we do great if they don't we should probably question what we're doing sure um, who did
1: you meet first by the way with, was it adam was it alan who through was, the distillery yeah to kind I, of contract kn- you
3: um it was alan that interviewed me first yeah. yeah but i mean i knew the distillery well long before um I'd been visiting Isla for four days at a time, probably every other week between Easter and October for five years before I moved. So I knew I was in a pretty privileged position, actually. Just to give a bit of background, I used to work sure, as yeah. a tour guide, um, Highlands and Islands extended tours, anything from three nature six, or distilleries nine days. or both. Everything. Yeah, um, okay. Very generalist, so it was history, it was folklore, um, it was landscape, it was everything. Showing people, immersing people in the landscape, the culture, the history, the folklore, all of it, really. Mm -hmm. And of course, because of my interest as well, I was always building in a lot of, not strictly foraging necessarily, but highlighting to people the plants that were around them, what grew where and why, Especially traditional uses, you know. Um, we've got a million acres of heather in the highlands, which these days is largely seen as pretty useless, but sure. um, used for mattresses, used for ropes, um, particularly for fishing nets, for the kelp industry. You can Along twist a rope that floats. Yeah, all it's have it's history in all kinds of and such, um, so no I, was, I love that. Plant. Interesting thread. When it came to the
1: flavor profile mm-hmm. of botanist yep. which is 22 strong mm-hmm. you know you talk about tanqueray that's four botanicals. Sure. you talk about plymouth gin seven to nine botanicals. Yeah. 22 mm-hmm. very robust collection of flavors did you have much to to do with influencing the flavor of that or was it kind of uh, top down where they're saying well this is the flavor we want James, go
3: grab these things. No, I didn't. Like like an awful lot in the industry, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. So <laughs> um when I started the role, it was many years after the first distillation. Yeah. And to me one of the most fascinating things about the whole story is considering how much they were shooting in the dark. You mm-hmm. know, they I know Jim McEwen had worked out an idea of what he wanted to produce. Yeah. My predecessors, Richard Mavis Gulliver, they had brought in a great selection of different botanicals for him to work his way through. But on a still the size of Ugly Betty, there is no trial run. There is no, well, we'll try this, we'll try that, we'll experiment for a bit. You know, you're charging it with thousands of liters of spirit to begin with. It's an expensive thing to go, try this, we'll change it, we'll do that. And the fact that the recipe has remained Bar a symbolic strig- sprig of isla juniper, yeah it's remained unchanged since that first distillation That's amazing It's quite astonishing, but no all the hard work had been done before I came on board
1: but you're the one keeping it alive mm-hmm do you get a lot of people using their horns extraneously because in the yeah, states we do that you know I, I was in France that. recently and it, kind of <laughs> 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 it was like, hey, you know, here's a
3: heads up guys. Here it's totally punitive. Yeah, the
1: smack on the hand every time. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
3: it's not something we're troubled with as much on Isla. It has to be said, no.
1: <laughs> I don't
3: doubt that. I really don't.
1: So, how long now have you been involved with the box um, project? It's only two years. Two years. Yeah.
3: yeah, yeah, two years. So, as I say, Richard and Mavis, who are my predecessors, mm. uh, I think Alan spoke to the the beginning of the project, and like so much in the. Bricklady's story, the serendipity of them beginning to think, you know, we're, we're going to make a gin. We, yeah. we want to do, as we've done with everything else at Bricklady, have that element of terroir, have the, you know, the Isla itself coming through. Right. And just there and then it's like, and it just so happens we've got a pair of botanists living on the island just <laughs> down the road. So the introductions were made. Um, my understanding is for the first distillation, no one knew where it was gonna go. It was never set there as a you know, a ten year plan, we're right. gonna make this gin, we're gonna take over the world. I mean bear in mind it's it's easy to forget today when the gin boom is absolutely flying high. Right. It was so desperately unpopular at that point. It was not something <laughs> you would easily go into as a money spinner, which I think is often how people see it today. It's oh, like sure. Still it today, bottle it tomorrow, it's on the shelf the next day. Money, money, money. Yeah, for
1: whiskey companies want to make some money. Yeah,
3: um, not necessarily in 2010. Um, so thrilled as they were to be involved, um, by the time I was coming on board, you know the project had been running for a while. The number of distillations was growing each year. So, yeah. but the main reason that they were leaving the island was to be near their family. Their daughters, their grandchildren, were down down in England, down in Shropshire. So they'd hoped to leave the island to spend more time with family down there. Mm. So I was brought in um, and really my first six months was essentially an apprenticeship. So my place of work was essentially the Gulliver's home. I wasn't actually that often around the distillery for the first few months, certainly. So it was spending time with the Gulliver's, ensuring I knew exactly what they were picking getting at least a a basis of areas they were picking from, most definitely getting everything spot on for how it was being prepared, for the flavor profiles I was looking for, for each individual one. Um, So yeah, this year past has really been my first year where it's all on my shoulders.
1: Is there any kind of rite of passage, any kind of drinking <laughs> challenge to know, James, that you're worthy to hang out with these other guys who make scotch all the time?
3: Um, I don't know about any drinking <laughs> challenges, no. I'm Is it certainly just that you don't remember? Fairly challenged when I'm <laughs> drinking, it has to be said. So, aye, the best said about that, the better, I think. But, um, <laughs> but no, they're certainly a friendly and welcoming bunch, so.
1: <laughs> they seem very cordial. Very, very communal. Right? Yeah. So being, you know, speaking of which, so you're in Texas. Mm-hmm. We're known for hospitality being such a massive state, Dallas, Houston, Austin. How did it feel kind of, because you really did a, a wonderful job talking about the botanist gin and talking about the botanicals passing around the tea bag, quote unquote, right? How do you feel about presenting to these folks that are thinking about the botanist gin and are saying, I would love to create the next great cocktail with it? it's
3: i mean it's easy done um i wouldn't say i was necessarily born as a a natural presenter yeah but again i was 15 years a tour guide so i worked you had some experience yeah and i mean it did not come naturally to me i can remember sure going out when you were training and someone else would be driving for you until you were really up to speed um and being forced to turn around and it's like, right, you're telling them about Glencoe today. Yeah. And the sweat beading on the forehead and the ears burning and the face scarlet. Yeah. But y- you work at these things. You work at anything. Um, it's like a lot of people who are naturals. Um, it's the good old, the, the harder they've worked at it, the more natural they've become. Yeah, And for something like this, um, <coughs> with a crowd like we've got here, you know that's one one of the things that's been most heartening about this whole visit, is to see the people that have come out. You know, these are bartenders; they don't want to be out in daylight. Um, <laughs> but the crowds that have gathered here
1: These are vampires. And Let's <laughs> just be honest; they can't make it out in daylight. Well, do will melt them. To I core. mean,
3: to get up and out here in an afternoon—same <laughs> in New York—the the level of interest that's been there, level of engagement, yeah. the the interest in people telling the story. And we're so blessed that I would feel a lot less comfortable standing up, going right. Let me get the key messages straight in my head. Let me revise the story that the PR department have handed us. Going, this is the brand story. Right. Um, I mean, I've only been there two years. Although I knew the ins and outs of the distillery prior to that, I could probably sit here for two days as one of the newer employees of the distillery. And tell you stories. I know Adam could sit here for days or weeks sure. Um one thing we're not short of at Brookladdy are good stories but genuine stories you know the whole the whole tale of Ugly Betty, the whole genesis of the idea, the whole bringing together of the botanicals, mm-hmm. the tying it all together at the distillery um, we've got bags of great stories but they're genuine stories you know mm-hmm. it's not all just on the back of the bottle that you're embellishing to present right, to people. They're, so they're honest, they're rooted in yeah, reality. Yeah, and I mean, if it's something you believe in, you enjoy, and you got a kick out of when you first heard it, then yeah. it's not hard to kind of bring that to other people.
1: So the attic that they've sequestered you to, Yes. is it haunted I'm or not? I'm actually...
3: <laughs> I will be returning to my attic having been taken from me. I am a victim of gentrification. So, yes. <laughs> by the time I get back, I think my attic space will be gone. Really? Yep. Um, as Is yoga mat, like filled with a yoga room, where you know almond. Yeah, it's all going to be Adam almond. I can just kind of do yoga and stuff and, up there. Yeah, they're going to have an almond milk bar <laughs> there, and yeah, um, kale, wheatgrass. No, I mean it's something we, you know, we're immensely proud of being a desperately inefficient distillery. Right. Um, it's uh, something we quote, we had a campaign recently of we are Isla, we are 100 strong um, and yeah, we're always growing I mean there are more staff coming in all in, all the time and yet we're sitting in the same 1881 distillery that's really beginning to creak at the seams so sure. my attic sadly is earmarked for uh, redevelopment at the moment it's <laughs>
1: being pushed out
3: yeah, common theme certainly in New York I'd imagine the same here, it's the Dreadful march of gentrification. That's right. Um, Is the movie
1: Office Space popular in Scotland?
3: I don't heard of know it. Well, do they smash a printer up? They do smash a printer bands? up. That's exactly right. I know of that, but I don't think I've seen the film.
1: Just make sure you take your stapler. <laughs> okay. <laughs> do not let them take the stapler. Fair enough.
3: But no, there is a new bit getting developed for me. Okay, okay.
1: So it's uh, actually an upgrade. Yeah, I'm moving,
3: but um, I'm sure it will be even better than before and less stairs to
1: climb. So I noticed you were drinking some of the cocktails from Mm -hmm. the menu here at the in Austin. You guys are here, you know, one-two punch for the botanist. Were you a white tuxedo tuxedo guy or the kind of the other forged cocktail? Because you were drinking an up cocktail, weren't you?
3: Again. I had a gimlet to begin with. Oh, yeah, that was okay. the one that was on, which was delicious. Um, again, it's, it's been an enormous learning curve to me. Yeah. Um, as I say, when I began, yeah, there was the hand modeling. Um, <laughs> but equally, to be suddenly... <laughs> do not handle any hot pots. <laughs> you do not
1: want to run the risk of
3: burning but a hand. To be immersed in this world of people who were... I mean, I suppose I came at the foraging really from just a kind of growing up in the country. So you would munch dandelions, you would stuff your face with zurichs, as we call them, sorrel. Yeah. Um, these things were around you, and they were there. And you know, I grew up two and a half miles from the nearest shop, so yeah. you took your fun where you could find it, you know. Yeah. Um, and then latterly, more from an academic background... Um, but to be immersed now in this culture of cocktails and culinary and I mean the first week or two in it, I'm there going, Oh, this'll make a great shrub and I'm sitting thinking, It will not <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's not a woody plant. It's never gonna get that big. And it was literally about a week before I was going, Right, shrub. So shrub, um, never mind Oxymel, it's like, yeah, I'm not even gonna ask. Yeah. So yeah. I'm still really finding my way in the world of cocktails. Um, must be exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's fabulous at the distillery. I mean, we do botanist tours, mm. take people around, tell them a bit about the, the process, show them the still, but equally it will end back at the distillery and they have an opportunity around the bar there with plants they've often just been introduced to, that they've been able to forage themselves a garnish. Yeah. Um, And a lot of the staff there, particularly Ashley, so shout out to Ashley, to watch her in the last six months or year, to go from kind of being, you know, you're doing the Botanist Tour today, I have to do a cocktail, to the creativity she's coming out with now, the cocktail she's creating, the flavor she's playing with. And I think it's a journey we're all on at the distillery, you know, that it's a whiskey background. Yeah. But from the very beginning, with the foraging, with the cocktails, with the culinary, it was never a fly-by-night thing. It was never like, right, we'll tick a foraging box. We've wanted to learn about it as we go, and I'm still way down here on that Mm. aspect of things, but you learn, you start to experiment at home. I've got a freezer full of bright green ice at the moment, which (laughs) um, is one of my go-tos, so yeah. But I'll, I'll try anything I'm offered. And you will be offered anything from a foraged garnish to, well, one of the standouts was, uh, you know, I've, I've made this cocktail to represent what Isla means to me. Yeah. So I've tried to get the sea air in there. This was a visiting bartender. And that kind of maritime feel of being by the coast, you have a taste. You're like, oh my God, you've nailed it. It's just like walking outside. There's that salty tang. There's the sea air there. It's like, what, what did you use for this? It's like, oh, at home we call them, ah, I don't know the name in English, I will be back.
0: Yeah.
3: And he returned with a limpet shell. And oh. do you know limpets? No. The little domed, They're little domed. No, I haven't seen that them. That grow all over the rocks. Oh. They're like a barnacle without yeah. a bit that opens. Um, they're edible, and if they're cooked correctly, they're all right. They're always a bit chewy, yeah. but they're not a delicacy that most people seek out. Um and yeah, he'd liquidized one raw into the cocktail. And you're there thinking, if you had told me this is what you were going to serve me, there's every chance I would not have touched that in 100 years. Yeah. But having tried it, I'm now going, well, I can't fault you for that, and I, fin- <laughs> I will finish the thing. So yeah, some of the creativity, some of the ideas that are out there are uh, yeah, just quite phenomenal. So you it's know? been
1: very rewarding. Well, experience talking to bartenders and such Absolutely, you know you guys are so sought after that you even have another class here two in a day here in austin texas i think that's oh we had one before here three a day i didn't realize you guys had such a heavy schedule it was beautiful sipping through the cocktails with the botanist learning about the process with the nine core botanicals the 22 additional there's not enough to be said and there's so much more we can't talk about and i hope Come visit you and Lila and go forage with you. You know, I got a hoodie just for the, the Ooh, job
3: I've got a spare bucket.
1: <laughs> <laughs> James, thank you so much for chatting with me. And uh I'll say this last thing. The fact that you learned about Amy through <laughs> the podcast itself is mind boggling. Yeah, right? yeah. Did you learn anything good? I learned a lot, good. Good. Yep. Lots of secrets too. <laughs> James, thank you so much. I will talk soon. I'd love to see you, Nyla. Thanks for having us. Thanks for being in Austin. So, there we have it, Mr. Adam Hannett and James Donaldson from the Brook Laddie Distillery, two of the brilliant minds behind the Botanist Gin. They're recently in town in Austin, Texas, talking about the process, talking about all those delicious flavors, and sipping a few botanist martinis while chatting with these two gents was really a wonderful experience. Humble guys, funny guys, and I really can't wait to make it out to Isla. Thanks so much for chatting with me guys. So thanks everybody for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter how many decades late it is to watch the West Wing or if you're thinking I really want to see the new Jordan Peele horror movie Us that just debuted South by Southwest last week, please keep going.